All right. Good morning, uh, regular listeners. News from the drug war front. Uh, Happy New Year. Happy New Year. Happy New Year to you, Marion. We're here. Hello, Jeffrey. Hello, everybody. We're back, my darling Cloud. Lovely to be here. And I hope you're all feeling terrific and not touched by this rotten COVID thing, which according to the government, has plateauing out, despite the fact that we've had well, the highest rate of deaths in New South Wales since it started. According to the Canberra Times, it says, yes, uh, uh, modelling um, has yeah, said yeah. yesterday was the... Modelling said yesterday was the peak, yeah. So instead of, like a weatherman, right, <laughs> instead of looking out the window or looking at the numbers in hospitals or getting tested, he's looked at the modelling that said it peaked yesterday. Hey, well done, that man. Well, it also says the number of COVID-19 patients in Canberra hospitals has nearly doubled over the past four days. Excellent. But as you said, <laughs> the modelling suggests the Territory um, has reached the peak. The modelling does. Well, yeah, see, I think, I don't know which model they're looking at, but... Do you feel relieved? Oh, absolutely. I mean, <laughs> look, we're here, aren't we? <laughs> I wonder about the impact on people's uh, mental health just generally, you know, like... I think that is always going to be a problem, Geoffrey, and in particular, people who listen to our show um, and I think people who are at home a lot anyway means they're isolated yeah. from the rest of the world and where is there to go to be able to communicate with other people freely it, it, because it's a, it's not safe, mm. and b, it's really difficult. And isolation has to be number one factor in uh, drivers driving factors of um, anxiety. Mm. Yeah, certainly doesn't help. That's for sure. Being alone is not a good thing. Yeah, I still can't understand why mid-December the you know public health measures did a complete 180, and it was like let it rip. Spend up big for Christmas, travel, export, you know, wherever well, you want to go. Hold, don't hold your breath waiting for an explanation, Jeffrey. No. We've not had an explanation for anything ever. And I, st- I have been asking for two years, have I not, listeners? Been asking for two Where's years. Hello, plan? Mary, by the way. Where's the plan? Yeah. Apparently there is a plan, but the most I've seen of this public education plan is three or four... Um, uh, symptoms of COVID mm. on a shop window. This is what COVID looks like. And that's it. You know, beyond that, no. And we don't have any rat tests so we can test ourselves and find out if we uh, are okay and safe to go out. Well, yeah, if we were going to open up and let it rip, surely. Yeah, you want people to know they could do it, yes, but apparently they've got the rat tests, but they're not handing them out until they're good and ready to. Yes. So they'll let the chemists make a fortune out of it. It's a, not a good show, Jeff. It's, it's I'm not, just not a good look. Not a good look no. and not a sensible outcome. And I think, ironically, um, if they were concerned about the economy, I heard yep. a report about um, confidence, especially, I think, in small business, has never been lower. You know, it's Absolutely. And you can't have an economy without a population. If the population's dead. How can they keep an economy going? Well, it's sort of like um, the argument with climate change. You can't have an economy with an uninhabitable world. With or, a world you know. that doesn't work. Yeah. yeah. The so, only thing we can be sure is that it keeps spinning. That's yeah. all it's doing at the moment that we know and can rely on. Everything else is... Yeah. It can't be a sense. Anyway, let's go on. Yeah, well, let's hope for, for better. Okay, welcome listeners to today's edition of News from the Drug Warfront, brought to you by Karma. 
the Canberra Alliance Power Minimisation and Advocacy and also the Connection, which is the uh, um, Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander component of uh, Karma's services. Karma is a peer-based community-controlled drug user organisation with over two decades serving the ACT. And the aim of the show um, is to report on uh, and also debate the harms caused by the prohibition of certain drugs that began in modern times on a global scale with the 1961 United Nations Single Convention on Narcotic Drugs. Sadly, these global policies remain largely unchanged, um, so we still have a war on people who use drugs, by and large. There's some countries that have you know, tried to introduce positive yep. change. Yep. Um, ours, not one of them, <laughs> unfortunately. No, unfortunately. they ha Yes, and we'll be doing a couple of articles on those, one on Canada and one on the United States. Given that they're next-door neighbours, they are poles apart in their thinking, and it, it's quite it's, um, ludicrous yeah, to the one... extent to which they are so separate and so different yeah. in their thinking. Yeah, yeah that's a good point. Um, anyway. We've got a very interesting um, article about uh, just well, dismay about the initial hope for um, cannabis in the US to be rescheduled. You know, it's currently Schedule 1. Well, no, cannabis in, in Canada is the first article we have, a can cannabis provision service or medical marijuana, I assume. Um, and then another one, the second one, will probably be on, if we get there, <laughs> um, will be on at the United States in uh, what are called overdose prevention centres, which advertises completely what they are, but we know locally they would be called safe injecting sites. Yeah. Well, the key thing is to have them. Who cares what they're called? Well, um. it, it, I think that the labelling is particularly important, I think, in the United States. I think it makes a huge difference. We don't care what they're called mm. as long as they're there. But the United States need to be stroked to accept things. They, so what it's called matters to them. Mm. Not safe injecting because that encourages people to use drugs. That's the way the United States thinks. That's where they go. No. Overdose prevention, much more sensible. Yeah. yeah. Anyway. Yep, they've been brought to harm reduction very, very slowly, haven't they? I have. So, um, yeah, essentially we'd just like to acknowledge the efforts of peers and activists who have contributed to the struggle against the war on people who use drugs. And um, obviously the, the show aims to encourage debate and inform and educate listeners about what we see as the failure of prohibition. Indeed. Okay, so it is, let me see, we're on 2XX, it's uh, 10.38 by my clock anyway. Do you want me to play a song? Or? Um, why don't we play a song just so we can get people into the right. mood and before we launch into the Rave About Karma and where we're coming from. Yeah, because we're still operating. And welcome yep. people to the show anyway. It's just hi Mary, hello Jack, hi Pete, and hello Sylvia, a friend I met yesterday, and I said I would send a shout out to. Awesome. All right, this is Blondie and In the Flesh. All right, that was Blondie and In the Flesh, and welcome back listeners to News from the Drug War Front on People Powered Radio, 2XFM 98.3 FM. And Marion, you're going to mention uh, Karma's service, Ranger I service? I am. I'm going to tell everybody who, because you haven't heard it for a little while, and it's time you knew again what Karma does. Um, and for, at the moment, it's not operating person to person. So if you want services over the phone is the way to go. So if you ring Karma on 6253 3643, you can contact uh, Karma and get access to its services or just talk to somebody, whatever you want to do. 
ring up and find out what you want. It's very difficult to do training. We can't do the barbecues. Some things cannot be done because they're in person and uh, that would be contrary to the uh, ACT government's policy. So, but the services that Karma provides in the main, uh, a wide range of services like advocacy, peer treatment support, education, creative arts, mentoring and referrals. Uh, the connection is Canberra's peer-based drug and alcohol service for Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander clients. Both services are located in the Churches Centre, Belconnen at Shop 17, Level 154, Benjamin Way. Um, no, I won't say that. Karma can assist people with a wide range of issues. Now, I've just said those, but these are a bit more specific. Opioid maintenance treatments, so methadone, buprenorphine, long-acting injectable forms like of um, opiate maintenance like buprenorphine, buvidal, and sublocade, treatment for hepatitis C, the impact of stigma and discrimination, the availability of t detox and rehab services, um, all issues faced by people adversely impacted by prohibition and the war on people who use drugs. And one of the things that's really important about that is stigma and discrimination are really at a high rate during the pandemic, mm -hmm. although COVID seems to have taken over all of the conversation. Stigma and discrimination has done nothing more, has done nothing but increase mm. in its presence. And you feel it everywhere you go. Every time you mention your behaviour or that you are a drug user, people look at you a bit gobsmacked. And if they like you, they don't quite know what to say, and if they don't like you, really, they just turn around and walk away. And it's so corrosive, isn't it? And if you go to a health centre for support or for medical attention, they'll give you the medical attention, but I really don't consider that being nice about telling people to give up doesn't compensate mm. for, for the stigma or the discrimination that you're actually showing to people. Yeah. The saddest yeah? thing is when people internalise that stigma yeah, and belief there. Well, I need some medical attention at the moment, Jeffrey, and I'm loath to go back to the medical centre that I normally attend. Not my doctor, yeah. I might add. My Just, doctor's a long way away. Yeah. Um, and she's not... I would have gone to a, a, drop, a medical walk-in centre. Yeah. Yeah. And the one I would normally go to is local to me. And I've normally often gone there. Yeah. But... No. I it, went there a year and a half... A week and a half ago, sorry. Yeah. And I want to go back to another one this time because I don't want to be seen by this particular nurse. Oh, it's not helpful. Who I saw three or four times and every time said, stop doing it. Wow. Don't do it. No. Are you going to use again? She and when I say I wouldn't be here if I wasn't using yeah. it, I said, well, try not to. I just think... It's not helpful. Are you tripping? And it's not part of healthcare. That's that's not non-discriminatory no. service provision. I'm sorry. Yeah. Sorry to hear that, Miss. Yeah. Um, yeah, so just a, a reminder, Karma services are still um, available. Um, prefer preferably give us a call um, and we'll help you over the phone. And, of course, the barbecues are out suspended because of basic government suspended, yeah. Because of Omicron um, at the moment. Okay, the contents of this news from the Drug Warfront broadcast do not necessarily reflect the views and or policies of the Canberra Alliance for Minimisation and Advocacy. Karma does not condone, nor does it condemn, drug use and does not promote illegal activity. 
Karma recognises that drug use happens. As such, Karma focuses on harm reduction messages, drug treatment support services, advocacy and community development. Karma seeks to reduce the harms associated with drug use as well as the harms associated with the criminalisation of drug use through the provision of empowering programs that concentrate on community development, person-centred holistic health care and equity of health service delivery for all people. In other words, just to be treated like a human being, yeah, like that, anyone else. That would it's not be too sweet. Hard. That would be nice and not to be... Um not to be discriminated because yeah. stigmatised because of your behaviour. Yeah. When you're not there in front of them, it's not bus their business. It's a bit like, I keep on saying this once or twice a year at least, two things that are very personal, sex, how you like your sex and how you like your drugs, Geoffrey. Yeah. And if, you, if those things are what makes you different from somebody else... Uh, and they take that as an excuse to discriminate or stigmatise against you or stigmatise you, then they need more training. Absolutely. Or some understanding of uh, why you might be there. Couldn't agree more. Okay, look, our first piece is an interesting one. I think it's fabulous. Reasons. I think yeah. happy birthday to you. Happy birthday to you. Happy birthday, Prohibition. 102 happy years ago yesterday. You. Yes. So, uh, yeah, this piece is by James Reid from the New Daily, 17th of January. On this day, prohibition began in the United States, igniting the gangster era. On this day, which was yesterday, 102 years ago, the first day of the prohibition of alcohol came into effect in the United States, paving the way for an era of gangsters and illegal activity across America. Yep. On January the 17th, 1920, the sale, manufacturing and transportation of intoxicating liquors became illegal in the US under the 18th Amendment to the United States Constitution. Throughout the country, establishments for illicit drinks were forced to close their doors, with federal authorities and a widespread temperance movement blaming alcohol for worsening crime and violence. However, the 13-year experiment backfired, giving rise to a new underclass of criminals just as the country was shaken off the devastating effects of the great influenza pandemic and also World War I. US authorities were concerned that the country's rapid post-war urbanisation had been accompanied by a surge in gambling, street fighting and domestic violence. And so they enacted the National Prohibition Act, that are to <laughs> clean up society. That fixed it. <laughs> that yeah, fix them. Yeah. Always going to fix those problems, wasn't it? <laughs> yep. They brought in staggering fines of up to two thousand US dollars, which was a lot of money back in nineteen twenty. The equivalent of twenty eight thousand US in today's currency. Or thirty nine thousand Australian. Australian, so yeah. significant fine. It's a big fine. And prison sentences of up to five years for violating prohibition. But crime organisations soon took advantage of the obvious opportunities to illegally manufacture and transport alcohol. And, of course, Al Capone was the king of organised crime in Chicago in the 1920s. Despite hefty repercussions, the authorities' hopes of an entirely arid desert of alcohol consumption were thwarted by citizens' desires, leading to gangsterism and bootlegging. It's funny. People will get what they get want. You know, they'll, they'll, find they'll have what they want no matter what law you bring in. They will get what they want. The article goes on, Strong demand for alcohol opened the door for the nation's gangsters to fill the void. With notorious crime, crime bosses such as Al Capone starting syndicates to capitalise on the commercial potential of uh, prohibition, 
Crowds of drinkers fought against the social reform with illegal drinking dens known as speakeasy flourishing in cities across the US. I mean, you only have to look at what happens in um, prisons to know just, you know, how devastating saying, no, you can't do that. And how creative no alcohol. people are. And people will find another way to make alcohol. Yeah. No matter what you think are the ingredients for alcohol, everything pretty well yeah. can be used as an ingredient, for al- as a basis for alcohol. Absolutely. I mean, have you ever seen the show Moonshiners? About- <laughs> yeah, there's been some <laughs> the terrific movies that- about yeah. it. Uh, Chicago gangster Capone, who was born on January 17. 1899, was one of the first to take advantage of America's new laws, illegally running and supplying alcohol to thirsty Americans and paying substantial bribes for the authorities to look the other way, which is another lesson to be learned. Bribe, it's, you know, it's a good way to set up a bribery, a bribing society. Yeah? Absolutely, yeah. Money talks That's all right, languages. That's right, bullshit walks. Uh, according to reports, Capone earned as much as a hundred million dollars a year, equal to 1.4 billion or 1.9 billion Australian in 2022, from his spoils of illegal distilleries, casinos, and speakeasies. It's believed at one point in the 1920s, every month, Capone paid out 500,000, equal to 6.9 million or 9.6 million in 2022 to police to ensure the protection of his illegal booze trade. Prohibition was repealed on December the 5th, 1933. So, you know, really just existed for, what was it, 13 years as an experiment. Yeah. So that's basically happy birthday um, prohibition and... Have we learned any lessons? Well, that Will? was going to be my question, Mary, yeah. rhetorically. What lessons were learned? Well, yep. clearly not too many. Well, we learned that you, if uh, if you want something badly enough, you can get it. Yeah. Um, if uh, it's worth it, you can bribe people to get access to it yeah. and to provide access to it. And yeah. if uh, you say no to enough people that want what you are holding on to, the power imbalance is unbelievable. Yeah. And you increase that power imbalance. Yes, you know, some The people with power become more powerful and the people without power become more subject to the things like tainted alcohol, mm. you know, the... Methadone in the uh, methadone, sorry, um, things like methylated spirits in mm. the fridge, Jeffrey, that kind of stuff. Yep. Yep. What they did with uh, people died dry towns of in, alcohol. in middle Australia. Yeah, yeah, just it just you cannot drink a hundred percent proof alcohol, and basically that's what they were doing. They were providing alcohol that people couldn't tell how strong it was, or they were providing it. People may have known it was okay, but they weren't able to get access to it. Well, you're it. taking risk, as as we say every week. In a black market, there's there's no guarantee there's of quality. No guarantee. It's price, purity. Yep. And uh, what what is it? Price, purity, quantity, quality, and purity. That's it. One of the sad things I've noticed over the time is that you know in the early days, I'm talking late 70s, early 80s, it just seemed to be. Well, it, it was a smaller impact. There was fewer people using illicit drugs, possibly, and it was more associated with um, positive things like 
you know, yes, being young, like experimenting. Yeah, reading marijuana poetry. in particular. Yeah, especially marijuana. Yeah, yeah. it w- was more about um, social yeah. con- connection. And people who used marijuana in those days um, did provide that social connection because it was smoking joints. And they were designed to be shared, and it was a, an art. There was an art to making joints, if you remember. There was. People used to make huge cannon-sized cigarettes, which are what joints are called, yeah, kids. Or big trumpets. <laughs> big trumpets. Or skinny they, greyhounds. Or, yeah, it's was, just crazy. Yeah. No, look, I, I, I think it's sad that a lot of that social side has gone out of it. For a range of reasons, price being one of them, yeah, um, and also a, a sort of a drift towards more, especially in the opioid scene, all these synthetic opioids that are far more potent and dangerous. Oh yes, yeah. and that's a real worry. Your fentanyls and carfentanyls, but well, they're more profitable. I know? wondered if you were going to bring up the change in the nature, Jeffrey, because it has been huge. The difference between what happened when marijuana became less available, which was around about 1975 when Donald Mackay was killed. That's right. He I was remember murdered. Yeah. And um, the Centre for um, Marijuana Production in New South Wales, Griffith. anyway, was Griffith, mm-hmm. which was where um, Donald Mackay lived and was. Uh, an representing crusader, wasn't he? Supposedly, he was. He was an anti-drug crusader. Now, because there was a sudden decrease in the availability of marijuana, there's an absolute upsurge. And firstly, things like home invasions of people who did have marijuana, um, stealing of marijuana plants oh, right. from yep. people's yep. backyards, although that still goes on today because people are lazy and can't be bothered growing their own. So it robs somebody else's And also effort. there was the introduction of newer drugs and an increase in their use, like opiates. Yep, yep. And that, although that started a little bit earlier with the introduction through the uh, re- uh, Relax and Recreation, the R&R leave, that the American soldiers had coming home from Vietnam or coming back from Vietnam having leave in Sydney. So it really, you know, has... Um, but it's changed hugely. It, it's changed you know, It fluctuates. And yes. now what we have is like chemical, yes. chemically contrived drugs. Yes. Uh, that... We change your one, one molecule. molecule and it's suddenly not against the law. Yeah. That kind of drug. So it's just yeah, it's it's mind bogglingly stupid. Yeah, <laughs> I'm well, sorry. Prohibition makes no sense. No, and you know, look at what happened hundred and two years ago with yep. alcohol. We and thirteen years later they said, That's it, we've had enough of this crap. Yeah, hasn't worked. And then but so much had been um, become had become a kind of endemic in the community, like police corruption yep. and and gangsterism and um, the grouping of communities who used particularly uh, used alcohol um, and kept it quiet, kept it dark from their wives. They, and the home lives did not improve necessarily simply because um, people no longer had access to alcohol at the shop on the corner. Um, it just meant that they weren't home when they drank. And you couldn't go back once those... Um... No, once you start things, there's no undoing no. of things like that. No. They become entrenched 
in the community and in the society. And, and that continues to be a problem to this day, Marion, with uh, modern-day prohibition. You know, Indeed. In fact, 50-plus years of it and all the propaganda that goes with it and all the vested interests who benefit. And um, it's very difficult to change things. So, um, unfortunately, we're still, you know, dealing with the same um, situation, which... Um, oh, yes, it's just crazy. We need to rethink this. You know, 102 years later, we're still dealing with prohibition. It's just not... It's just not alcohol. No. It's other kinds of drugs. Yeah. And every time we change a law and make another group of drugs, you know, not available yeah. or illegal, they change the nature of the drug or change the molecular, you know, chemical structure yeah. of the drugs. And bam, bam, thank you, ma'am. And there's know. the development of the dark weeds oh, so people ludicrous. can order stuff from, you know, overseas or laboratories and... You're really taking it on trust, you know. That's yes. the other thing. Um, and I'm sorry, but trust is well and truly lacking in droves in this community at the moment. Not in our community as much, although I have to say that as an illicit drug user, as a peer, um, it's difficult to be sure of what you're getting and mm. what you're not getting. Well, there's no guarantee. Of... Uh, you can't be sure of what's there, so it... And that has become entrenched in mm -hmm. the provision of illicit drugs too. Yeah. So uh, all you can do is rely on somebody that you've been getting your supply from and on a regular basis. I hope that the that hasn't changed. Yeah. 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 I hope the relationship makes them what um, more loyal to you. I guess is the is the term. But the structure mitigates against trust. That's, that's it does, and the more you know about people, the less likely. News. The news? Let's we'll do that. We'll be back after the news. All right, welcome back to this week's news from the drug war front. It's four minutes after eleven, and uh, I think we'll go to a song. And this is uh, a shout out to my colleague Dave, and this is the band uh, Tool, who we actually saw live in Sydney uh, just before the pandemic hit. And uh, the album's Undertow, and the track is Sober. So this is the band Tool. All right, uh, welcome back to News from the Drug War Front. That was uh, the classic band Tool from the album Undertow, and the song was entitled uh, Sober. Okay, we're off to Canada with this next story. You were talking before, Marion, about uh, the impact of stigma. Well, well discrimination, yeah. This, this piece uh, from January 13th, Mirage News, says pandemic and stigma are a double barrier to proper health care for people who use substances. Mm. Hospitals aren't better equipped to help those struggling with any substance use disorder because of ongoing stigma in health care, according to a University of Alberta public health researcher who suggests that the uh, COVID pandemic has underscored the need for change. Quote, even though we have a wide range of very effective interventions for reducing the risk of overdose deaths for people who use substances widely available in the community, they're not really available in hospitals, said Elaine Hishka, researcher in the School of Public Health and New Canada Research Chair in Health Systems Innovation. Quote, it's kind of ironic because hospitals are where people expect the highest standard of health care to be provided. It is well documented that the overdose epidemic has worsened during the COVID pandemic. Hishka explained the pandemic disrupted drug trafficking patterns and supply chains, which has led to new substances, new sellers, and an even deadlier street uh, drug supply, which we were talking about before. Indeed. 
she goes on to say, basically, it's become very, very difficult for people to, to uh, be able to know what they are taking and what the potency is, she yeah. said, noting that a recent increase in novel benzodiazepines in circulation is further increasing risks. To make matters even worse, according to Hishka, people who use drugs have been less able to access services like supervised injection sites thanks to a combination of wanting to stay home to protect themselves from COVID-19 and increasingly constrained availability. That's led to more people using alone, which naturally increases the risk of overdose fatalities because there's no one there for those having a medical emergency. Which is what we say every, every week. week. The article goes on. This overdose epidemic amidst the COVID-19 pandemic saw an increase in overdose victims entering into what Hishka describes as woefully unprepared acute care settings, which often lacks access to basic harm reduction strategies like supervised injecting sites, needle exchanges, or in some cases, even naloxone kits. Harm reduction approaches to substance use have not really been integrated into hospitals, largely because of stigmatisation and criminalisation of people who use substances, said Hishka. Entering the hospital just doesn't change the fact that you might have an addiction or substance use disorder. She said one of the reasons drug use stigma persists in acute care settings is because healthcare providers typically don't receive enough education about substance use or substance use disorders. She goes on to say, we know that ongoing substance use in hospitals can lead to an increased risk of overdose or risk of HIV or hepatitis C transmission, especially when it's incurring, occurring in secret hidden from medical staff, she said. Ongoing substance use is a big reason that people leave hospital against medical advice early or are prematurely discharged. And that's certainly the case, you know, Karma has been involved in oh. that kind of behaviour yep. and had some incredible interventions that they had to perform yep. with healthcare in a hospital that had an alcohol and drug service yeah. on oh. premises and no reason for that to come. No. The article concludes, Hishka added that people who have substance abuse disorders deserve to have access to the same high quality hospital care as any other patient and noted that a hospital setting is a huge opportunity to build trust with the healthcare system because a lot of people have had negative experiences. And a lot of that comes down to training. And, and I have to say, Jeffrey, that I live in fear of being admitted to hospital. Yeah. That's it. I think a lot of people are. Yeah. It is a real fear for me that that's what will happen. Yeah. Because you're not going to be treated like just another patient. You're no, going to be. Not only will I not be treated by just another treatment, but there would have to be a secret supply provided, and yeah. I just can't see that being maintained and yeah. cannot see it happening. No, I think a lot of people, as they get older, are yep. petrified. Yep. And this is where um, I think uh, the, some of the Dutch activists were talking about that um, with the ageing cohort of opiate users trying to set up facilities that actually are empathetic and aware to the issues facing um, older drug yeah. users. Yeah. You know? I mean, yeah, wouldn't that be wonderful to have... Nurses that weren't stigmatising you. Em empathy is a wonderful thing, Jeffrey, if yeah. only you can find it. Yes, <laughs> yeah. But as you said before, um, stigma and discrimination are just endemic. Um, Absolutely. And it, it's like, it seems to me that our society 
and this is around the world, we need something to hate to bring the community together. Mm. The only way we can all be um, one and the same is if one group of us are the baddies yeah. and the everybody other. else is okay. Yeah. No, so there's an other and there's society. Yeah. And that's a pathetic, you know, <laughs> yeah. just wars are fought over just this kind of stuff. Well, what sort of um, sad... Uh, construct is uh, treating your own citizens in that way. You know what I mean? It's not a war against some foreign enemy. These are your own yeah, people. These are your own people. Yeah. And this is... The kids are bring, being brought up to either be one of the other or one of the goodies. Yeah. And it it's just a really bad... Look, it's bad training. It's bad community relations. Yeah. It's just bad policy all It's around. bad policy, yeah. yeah. But another impact of prohibition. Absolutely. Okay, we've uh, got another piece um, mentioned at the start of the show about uh, a lot of hopeful um, expectation that the US federal government with the um, Biden victory over Trump at the last US presidential election would lead to cannabis being rescheduled from its current um, no medical benefit whatsoever status. Um, but it seems like uh, those hopes are perhaps being dashed or... Uh, yes. Threatened. Uh, quote, nothing has changed. Frustration builds as cannabis reform stalls. This is by Alicia Victoria Lozano from NBC News, January the 15th. For the cannabis industry, 2021 was supposed to be the year of reform and opportunity. Democrats were in control of both the White House and Congress, and lawmakers were busy pushing bills to expand banking access for cannabis businesses and also to offer pathways to expunging criminal records and increasing diversity within the industry. But one year into the new administration and cannabis reform has largely stalled, fueling disappointment and concern that legalising or even decriminalising marijuana at the federal level is now merely a pipe dream. Quote, nothing has changed, and that is really frustrating, said Narman Jarris, Chief Development Officer of the Michigan-based cannabis company Exclusive, Bla uh, Exclusive Brands. Quote, we can always make excuses for why things don't get done, but at the end of the day, that doesn't help the people in prison, and it doesn't help the people who are continuously being affected by the war on drugs, end quote. Amongst uh, those lasting effects is lack of access to banking, which remains a major obstacle for many cannabis businesses seeking to open checking accounts or apply for loans. Large financial institutions shrink from the industry for fear of running afoul of federal law, which can still considers marijuana a controlled substance. In 2020, Catherine Jarris, um, her sister and an accountant, for exclusive brands, was suddenly shut out of her bank account after depositing a paycheck. Her credit cards were also closed without any prior notice, affecting her credit score and sending her family into a tailspin as they juggled a newborn and financial upheaval. A number of other exclusive brands employees experienced similar treatment when they tried to cash their paychecks at the commercial bank. Her sister and other employees never received an explanation, just a letter and a cheque to close out their accounts, she said adding that she believes the bank's actions were meant to comply with federal law. Cannabis remains a Schedule One drug, like heroin and LSD, under federal law. But 36 states have adopted medical marijuana programs, and its recreational use is legal in 18 states, including Michigan. 
the discrepancy between federal and state and federal rules creates a quagmire. Legal cannabis businesses that uh, for legal cannabis businesses that follow local regulations. Two key pieces of legislation, the Secure and Fair Enforcement Banking Act, which would have expanded the industry's access to financial institutions, and the Marijuana Opportunity Reinvestment and Expungement Act, which would have decriminalised marijuana at the federal level, sought to codify piecemeal laws that have governed the cannabis industry. Both bills failed to pass Congress last year. A quote, it's easier to get frustrated by the slow pace of change, said Eric Altieri, Executive Director of Normal, a national cannabis advocacy organisation. But it's important to look at those thread marks where this is still moving forward. Stephen Hawkins, Hawkins, CEO of US Cannabis Council, a coalition of businesses and advocacy groups, said, this is a critical moment for Congress in regard to marijuana legalisation. And ongoing discussions at the national level signal change is inevitable. Quote, rarely does anything happen in Congress in one fell swoop, he said. I think the momentum is there. It's momentum that we will see come to fruition, hopefully, in the next session of Congress. So it'll be okay tomorrow, which is a bit late for those people who've had their bank accounts closed and their access to credit frozen. Well, it's making it very difficult to actually run a business. You yeah, can't and access. it means that they still run. You cannot run on hope. You no. can't feed your children on no. hope. No. They just don't thrive. They can thrive without it either, I might add, but still, hope alone is not what matters. Lewis Merchant, CEO of the Can- uh, Canadian cannabis company Flora Growth, said he has heard these promises before as he continues to wait for the United States to establish, to establish a regulatory framework that will allow his international business to expand its portfolio. In the meantime, Flora Growth has been forced to limit American business ventures to electronic smoking devices, hemp derivatives and cannabinoid-based topicals. Globally, the company functions on a very different scale, operating a large outdoor marijuana cultivation centre in Colombia. Last year was a year of optimism, said uh, Merchant said of the company's prospects in the United States. It's difficult environment. Uh, it's a difficult environment with high bars of entry, but we continue to find ways to operate. But it's certainly a somewhat pessimistic uh, outlook, isn't it? Well, yes, but written by fairly optimistic people. Yeah, I suspect. Well, yeah, I like that people are still very hopeful and they are seeing a, a positive future. I, it just worries me that we continue to create criminals. Hmm. Well, and it's. It's kind of out of the blue, Geoffrey. These um, people who, a woman who's set up a business and got married and has an accountant and is regular in every, probably pays more taxes than anybody else, um, and is trying to operate within the law as far as possible, is stalled in a state where she's allowed to operate mm. using, you know, cannabinoid products. Um, is stalled by her banking, uh, yeah. her, her 
being shut out of her banking allowances. It's just crazy. I wonder how much of it is uh, the, you know, the political problem in, for Biden, where the Republicans are basically trying to just say no to everything, you know. He got the infrastructure bill through, but he can't get the federal voting rights protection laws through, can't get Build Back Better, and maybe he can't get this cannabis reform. Although I would have thought, given how many states it's legal medicinally or just, you know, legal, that yeah. there's so much economic opportunity. Um, you know, they're always talking about building the tax base and having jobs and there's so much opportunity that's Absolutely. just been that's stymied by... Creating a whole new area of opportunity yeah. for people who approve of and are involved in cannabinoid production, consumption and distribution, and who have set up um, a consumer basis for all those products yep. and uh, really have good medical outcomes Absolutely. that they've been have been reported regularly over and time and time again and are still being basically denied. Yeah. There's such a lot of naysayers, Jeffrey, in the yeah. community. It's really so much irritating. lost opportunity. Yeah. yeah. All right. Uh, well, on that subject, I thought I'd uh, play uh, the classic uh, Dark Side of the Moon, Pink Floyd track, Money. Seems oh, to be fairly um, appropriate. That's totally appropriate. All right, of course, that was Pink Floyd from their iconic Dark Side of the Moon album. And, you know, uh, I have money. two... I have two um, what are they? Tapes, yeah? Cassette tapes at home. One of them is Emerson, Lake and Palmer, and the other one is Dark Side of the Moon. They're well, the only two tapes I have left over from my days when cassette tapes were the go. It was one yeah. of the biggest selling albums ever, it's wasn't a, it, really? It's incredible, yeah. Look, uh, this next story from the US is probably a bit too long to really um, read. To do the whole entirety. lot of it, but it's important. Um, for, and, uh, well, it was published in the Washington Post, too, which means it's... Um, it's probably fairly pro... ...widely read in yes. a, a respected publication. It's by Meryl Cornfield, Washington Post, 16th of January. Insider pioneering US site authorised to monitor, peop monitor people using drugs. New York. In tears, Kaylin C. recounts a story that would not have been possible just a few weeks before. A man addicted to heroin who otherwise would have injected himself alone visited one of the country's first authorised locations to use drugs with supervision in early December. He had a job interview late, later that day hoping to earn two paychecks by Christmas so he could afford some gifts for his children, he told staffers at the site in Washington Heights. But when he drew the drugs into his veins, he began to nod off and go pale, a sign of what could have been a lethal overdose. The train workers sprang into action, giving him oxygen. He quickly came to, said C, one of the main organisers of this site. In nondescript commercial buildings in Washington Heights and East Harlem, workers watch people use illegal drugs and step in if they overdose. A solution to the drug crisis once considered too fringe to ever operate in the open. Years of legal battles and debate delayed efforts by cities and states to do, um, allow supervised consumption sites, forcing these facilities to operate underground. These new locations, approved by then-Mayor of New York City, could spur a shift towards offering services nationwide, say drug policy experts. But these sites still present a tangled knot of concerns. Again, the federal government has not approved overdose prevention centres, still considered an untested concept. And neighbours worry about drawing crime to their area, the old NIMBY, not in my backyard. Well, yeah, and they should... Um, evaluate that after they've been conducting that for a while, don't you think? It might be a good idea. Well, they do in 
all the ones that's that the ones get that set we up. know of. Yeah. They always evaluate them, and that's the best way to find out whether it's changed the nature of the community. Yeah, and, and whether to, pick the to right keep place the site and, going. Yeah. To make because drug users, believe it or not, do want to be healthy and alive. Absolutely. So yeah, they may well actually stay away if they're not using from that area, um, and not be silly enough to deal outside the premises, and make sure that the the uh, location is a bit less crime filled. Anyway, yeah. well, sorry, Jeffrey, to interrupt. I just thought been, that... Um, drag kicking and screaming to yeah. even consider it. The Biden administration's silence on this issue is not expected to halt potential sites supported by local officials. Now that New York City has claimed the title of first, more could be planned, experts say. Mm. In a 12-month period that ended in April 2021, more than 100,000 Americans, over 12 months, people, more than 100,000 Americans died of drug overdoses, an all-time high in a crisis exacerbated by the coronavirus pandemic when many were isolated. The people who used the privately funded sites operated by the non-profit On Point New York City, they say would have used those drugs by themselves at a park, public restroom, subway station or at home, according to organisers' review of intake paperwork. Since the authorised service began operating in November the 30th, organisers say workers have reversed 76 overdoses, a small victory at a time when the nation is reporting a record number of fatal overdoses amid the coronavirus pandemic. I wonder if that is 100% of the people who overdosed at the site, Geoffrey, or not. That would be an interesting piece of data to present too. Sam Rivera, the non-profit's head, is often reminded of taking clean needles to what are called what were called shooting galleries in the 1990s. At that time, clean needle programs were stigmatised, recall the now 59-year-old New Jersey residents. Now they are endorsed by the federal government as safe. I saw an entire society change, an entire city change, when folks were given the opportunities to use clean syringes, Rivera said. For decades, Rivera has carried the overdose antidote naloxone with him, running from his office or jumping out of his car with a vial when he heard of an overdose. Finding people at a point when oxygen was no longer reaching their brain, a critical stage. Now when he hears of an overdose at the non-profit sites, Rivera watches as the staff helps the overdose victim. At the prevention centres, the overdose is reversed so quickly that many people are still conscious. The sites have called 911 for medical help once since their opening, at a time when the city estimates overdose costs the healthcare system $50 million annually for emergency medical service calls, emergency department visits and hospitalisations. Quote, to see it live is absolutely mind-blowing, Rivera said, especially the interaction with the participant who is thanking us in that moment. Those who oppose these facilities say they may actually lessen the incentive for participants to enter treatment and recovery. Typical. People using are still using 
uh, drugs, still use drugs outside of the centres. There's little data about those people's risk of fatally overdosing, said David Murray, a senior fellow at the Hudson Institute, a conservative think tank in Washington. He argues that the resources would be better used for treatment programs. The goal to reduce overdose deaths is laudable, but they seem to have problems demonstrating that it's ac that's actually the outcome, oh, Murray really? said. Yeah, another addiction researcher, Keith Humphreys from Stanford, questions the scalability of intervening when someone ODs, when nearly one in five Americans used illicit drugs in 2018, according to a national survey on drug use and health. Will it be a game changer, Humphreys said? Hell no. It's a pretty marginal effort. In New York City, the organisers of the site hope that research conducted at the centres will change critics', critics minds. So those, that data will come out, Geoffrey. I think that's that will be good to see. I, I don't know why they don't actually incorporate the existing data from you know the 100-plus sites around the yeah. world. But anyway, they've got to do it themselves, I guess. To, they do, to, yeah. yeah. If people aren't alive, well, they can't participate in any treatment, said Rivera, Executive Director of On Point New York City. At the East Harlem site, all the accoutrements a drug user could need are neatly arranged in black trays on a folding table. Needles of different sizes, cotton gauze, elastic tourniquets. Users need only bring their illicit drugs. Although the site appears clinical, the staff tries to make users feel comfortable, offering steaming towels when people come in from the waiting area, referred to as the living room. Above, the defibrillator hanging on, hanging on the back wall of a mural promises this site saves lives. One of the interventionists on guard was Yusuf Colley, who started working at the facility at a time when people used drugs unmonitored in the bathrooms. Colley said he would find people, um, quote, to the point that they were so blue, you're thinking there's no way they're going to come back. Now each pod is equipped with mirrors for the interventionists to see if people do overdose. For 61-year-old Bronx resident Danny Miko, the site is a far better alternative to his usual spots, streets, corners, whatever, to use heroin and cocaine. I was going wherever I could, which really isn't good, uh, Miko said outside the East Harlem facility. With this, he said, motioning to the door outside, you have a place to go which makes all the difference in the world. Before the opening, C, the Senior Director of Programs for On Point New York City, feared that people like Miko just wouldn't use the centre. Sitting in the non-profit's East Harlem office, C, a Canadian-American dual citizen who worked for sites in Canada, and also at unlawful locations in the US, shares her worries. What if people who used drugs felt sceptical about the group's intentions, fearing that it was a poaching ground for police? Or rather, what if police were waiting at the door? While unorthodox, the, the horrible thing about that is that people are actually creating reasons to give to uh, the rest of the community. Yeah, they, They're putting things into people's minds on how we could use this facility and what it means is they need to make an agreement with the police not to monitor yeah. the site. Yes. Yeah, and I hope they've done that. While unauthorised sites have operated underground in the United States, such, as pro such a program has never been able to open legally. When an attempt was made to open one in Philadelphia, President Donald Trump's Justice Department blocked the effort in court. The lawsuit is pending in US District Court after the Supreme Court declined to review the case. Quote, this is such a history historic moment for the US, C said. We wouldn't have, n have known because there's really no example to point to in the United States. 
Although the Justice Department under President Biden has stepped back from Trump's aggressive legal challenges against sites opening, the administration has not taken a position on issue on the issue and probably will not in the short term, said Lindsay LaSalle, a policy expert at uh, the Drug Policy Alliance. LaSalle says she thinks that taking a position on supervised consumption sites is not, quote, very high on the priority list for the administration, end quote which has faced a wartime effort against COVID-19. She added that Biden's history is another wrinkle. As a senator, he sponsored the Crackhouse statute, which made it illegal for anyone to operate a facility for the purpose of using illegal drugs, a provision later used by Trump's Justice Department to try to prevent supervised consumption sites from opening. Quote, I think that New York will put additional press, uh, pressure on elected official and government officials to take heed of what the advocates have been saying, LaSalle said. Did the sky fall is the next heading. Approved drug use sites have operated in other nations, including Canada and Australia, for years, with a spate of research showing that no one has died at such a facility and that the services... The service enhances the primary health care, limits the spread of diseases such as HIV and hepatitis C. I might add, doesn't say that in here. Helps reduce the public nuisance of used needles discarded in neighbourhoods. Scientists say no studies have found that these sites increase drug use or crime in the surrounding areas. Still, American researchers won't be able to learn more about the impact of these sites on their communities until more such facilities open. Rhode Island legalised safe consumption facilities in July and is developing regulations for them. Similar legislation is under consideration in California. San Francisco Mayor London Breed, a Democrat, who this month declared a state of emergency in a neighbourhood beset by drug use, has said a facility could be opened in her, in her city um, as early as spring. That sounds good. Um, Alex Crowell, an epidemiology with RTI International, who has researched one of the underground US sites, cited benefits that authorised locations can offer. The East Harlem site has a door, a doctor, sorry, a door, of course it does, has a doctor, social workers and holistic healthcare workers, as well as garden, showers, laundry machines and a meditation room. Kral, who visited the New York locations before they opened, praised organisers' efforts to inform not just participants, but also others who tour the sites, possibly inspiring officials who see the sites' success at reversing overdoses. People are trying to see if the sky has fallen or not, Kral said three weeks after the sites opened. Did the sky fall? No, it didn't fall. Kral said the research conducted at authorised locations. The research conducted at authorised locations can offer more information about how much of a help these facilities are to their users. Organisers say they are collecting data that has not yet been reviewed by researchers. Okay, the piece uh, concludes with a subheading: We are ready. More than 470 people have signed up as clients at the two sites, which has been used more than 3,000 times. Uh, 3,300 times, sorry, since the end of December. 
Four of the city's, of the city's district attorney, attorneys praised the centres as, quote, a model for other cities to follow in a BuzzFeed News opinion piece, giving a green light for continued operations. After decades of drug users hiding in isolation, fearing that their illicit activities may stigmatise them, C and the other operators of the sites imagine a world where people who use drugs can gather not just looking out for each other, but also even helping one another through their drug use. People who use drugs have long learned misconceptions through word of mouth or online, further endangering themselves. Quote, I know this is going to sound controversial and a little counterintuitive, C said, but we have to teach people to be the best drug users they can be whilst they're using. How sensible. Yeah, and well, uh, it's not as if they can't, Jeffrey. No. At the idea that drug users want to be sick is, is ludicrous. stupid. Yeah, <laughs> crazy. Meanwhile, Rivera sees a future where sites like these will open across New York City, at least with a presence in every borough. He said uh, this could address the concerns of community organisers such as the Greater Harlem Coalition that oppose the sites in their own neighbourhoods but might be assuaged by seeing others open throughout the city. The Greater Harlem Coalition lobbied against the site being opened in the predominantly black neighbourhood, which the Coalition says is oversaturated with drug treatment clinics. Coalition leaders say they think the locations would become magnets for drug dealers soliciting customers. Siderea Asbury Kresfeld, a co-founder of the Coalition, said data shows people who use these facilities come from elsewhere in the city. Such criticism probably will be heard in other cities as local governments approve new sites. Rivera argues that the staffers' close connections with the participants allows them to gain trust to the point that when someone expresses an interest in treatment, they can encourage that person in that direction. Some of the staffers in the sites are in recovery themselves and have helped others find assistance, Rivera said. We can't force people into treatment. That simply doesn't work. We know it doesn't work. But when they're ready, we're ready. Weeks after recounting the tale of the job seeker, C was walking near her office and spotted him working at a street stall. Quote, the victories may be small, but they are still victories, she said, her eyes welling up as she recalled the man uh, saying that his interview had gone well. He survived and he's still trying. I'm pleased to hear that. I mean, what about a bit of compassion, like we said at the start of the show? Just yeah. treat people as human beings. Just human. And the idea that drug users want to be anything other than alive is, is ludicrous. It's ludicrous, yeah. You know, people do not use drugs for anything but to feel good. Yeah. To enjoy themselves yeah. or to feel better, yeah. if you like, um, Not to, to, end up to exaggerate a feeling that they hopefully already have somewhat. Yeah. And it's not as if they're using drugs to, um, to die, no. to be unwell, no. to be infected, to kill other people. To it, it, So thinking sensibly about it is, uh, really starts with people one by one conversations, yep. everybody that is prepared to be a drug user and out about it talks to other people yeah. who are judgmental about drug use and discriminatory and say, why? Yeah. Ask them why. Ask them to justify their stance and see what you can... It's okay to have the stance, but you don't need to tell people or treat people who have a stance in opposition to yeah. yours. And it's not black and that white. they're wrong. Good, That's bad. right. Yeah. It's not either rehab or or death. Yeah? All right. Might play a song uh, just to get us towards the end of the show. This is T-Rex and uh, Get It On. Yep.
Okay. All right. Uh, welcome back to uh, the end of this week's News from the Drug War Front with Jeff and Marion in uh, Studio One at 2XX, which is People Powered Radio 98.3 FM. And just want to thank them again for um, uh, being such a supporter of our show and Absolutely. the many other shows. Public yeah. Powered Radio, People Powered Radio is just a wonderful thing. Absolutely. And we say that every week or every week that remember to say it. Sometimes we get full of the stories that we're doing, but. Remember always that people-powered radio is a very powerful thing to have access to. Well, especially in a time when community um, as a concept seems to just be under assault. Well, it's dissipating. It's falling apart, Geoffrey. If we can maintain community by connecting with our listeners um, every week, then that's what we want to do. And it's really good to be back. And if I haven't said... It's a shout-out to anybody this week that I should have done. My apologies. Um, I'll well, remember, remember and say next it next week. week. Yeah. <laughs> and I have no doubt I will be reminded the minute I walk out into that horrible rain if it's still pouring down. Wow, that's coming out of nowhere, it was when I went out at 11 o'clock. All right, just to wrap up uh, the information for the show, there's um, an opportunity for a survey which... Um, can be filled out till January the 31st by Harm Reduction Australia. It's uh, every two years they conduct a survey giving the opportunity for people working in or associated with drug and alcohol programs to have their say about policies and issues affecting the sector and the wider community. Harm Reduction Australia are conducting this survey right now with responses uh, closing on the 31st of January. There's no financial incentive for completing the survey. However, if you are interested, the survey is available through the Harm Reduction Australia website, uh, which is at harmreductionaustralia.org.au. It takes around 15 minutes to complete. So if you're interested in um, putting your voice in... Yeah, and it contributes, um, if we get the numbers, it contributes to uh, a bank of information, a store of information that um, is required to present to the federal government and state governments and, in fact, internationally and to the harm reduction movement internationally. Absolutely, yeah. yeah. So it's really useful to have an idea of what's going on in our community. Well, that's one of the real problems, isn't it? Lack of um, up-to-date information. I mean, really, there isn't that much research done. There's the IDRS done once a year, well, but it's 100 people. I keep on saying state. to people who set up programs, evaluate, evaluate, evaluate. Yeah. If you don't evaluate your program, who is going to know whether it's good, bad or ugly? Well, that's true. Yeah. You have no evidence to back up your claims with. Well, you so have to speak to the people all the time. who are receiving the service or the that's whatever. right. Yeah. Well, you have to tell, yes, you have to tell people where you're spending the money yeah. for a kickoff, but quality is also an issue. Yep. Yeah. Yeah. So, yeah, if you're interested, um, Harm Reduction Australia's website uh, and you've got, what, two weeks or 12 days, 13 days left to fill it out, um, which is good. But, yeah, we're getting towards the end of the show. Well, yeah. we are at the end of the show because we've got um, our theme song to play. To go, yes. Golden um, Brown by uh, The Stranglers. The Stranglers, yep. of course. Um, thanks for listening to the show. We'll be back again next week. Stay we safe. We will be back again next week. Stay but, safe. Yeah. Shoot clean. Look after each other and yourselves, please. Yeah, yeah that's really important. Um, yeah, yeah, very important. Okay. Um, I love. We love you all. I love you, Jeff. Yep. And bye bye, everyone. We we'll talk to you. See you again next week. Indeed. Here's Golden Brown. <laughs>